In this episode, we've got some brand new takes on horror from aliens to zombies to symbiotes. Oh my. It's all happening now on Cover B. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. Hello, everyone. World, it is time for another episode. For some more Cover, Cover B. B. There the are comics. Thing. It's exciting. I am boisterous about <laughs> this situation. She's feeling boisterous, everybody. I am. Uh, okay, so let's kick it off. A uh, handful of new stuff and some good starting points this week. A uh, good bit of stuff to talk about. Uh, which is nice. Things are finally coming back into Yay. more regular uh, releases and things like that. I'm Comics. Okay. Um, okay. So first I wanted to talk about um, a new one called Rogue Planet. Uh, yes. This one is written by Colin Bunn with art by Andy McDonald. Um, it's a new sci-fi horror title. Uh, and it was pretty... Pretty solid, I have to say. Major alien vibes. Major Ridley Scott vibes. That's Big a good point. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely time. got some. Uh... Which I'm never going to argue with. Like, old alien, not like whatever this Prometheus junk is. Yeah, like, it's got real some. Real um, alien. It's got some of that, uh, you know, Event Horizon style of sci-fi horror going for it. True. Um. It's from Oni Press, which is cool. Uh, we don't see a whole lot of kind of really impressive new stuff coming out of there. Uh, Oni has had its ups and downs. It's had a few titles that have kind of kind of hit. I think Kaiju Max is Oni. That one's been going on for a while. And then obviously the Rick and Morty uh, and Invader Zim titles. But um, this one was really cool. I've been keeping up with the previews and stuff for this one for a while and have been pretty excited about it. And it definitely lived up. Uh, to the dream for the most part like i said it does kind of fit into like t said the ridley scott style of stuff and then uh, as i mentioned event horizon it's got that kind of general very tropey sci-fi setup where you know open on some sort of expedition of you know space people and they are just coming out of hypersleep um and they are headed to their destination where they were following a signal uh, and then stuff goes wrong. Um, I won't spoil too much because the whole point of it is, uh, you know, if I say too much, it would really spoil like the whole kind of like meat of the story. Yeah. Uh, but it's got a nice horror appeal, you know, shit goes wrong really hardcore <laughs> and it's, you know, people lives are lost and we don't have too much character development. The, the story itself introduces a lot of interesting narrative bits um but there's not too much developed on the actual team themselves they all at this point are just kind of falling into these kind of like tropey like you got the hard-ass captain and you've got like the, the doctor the yeah very whimsical doctor and stuff like that um but for the most part it was really cool the art was really solid and mcdonald did a cool idea uh and it, it introduced this cool concept of a rogue planet i had never really heard about like what a rogue planet is um but it's it's exactly as it sounds it's a planet that due to gravitational stuff or whatever i guess got ejected from its like standard like solar orbit 
And so it's just kind of out in space. It's a starless just, planet. Yeah, like whirling out in space. Which, when you think about that, is terrifying. Because <laughs> one of those bad boys could pop up at any point in time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like rogue waves in the ocean. It, it's like... Who knows one day when NASA's just going to be like, hey, there's an entire planet hurtling towards us and it's going to be here in like, you know, 250 years, but there's literally nothing we can do about it. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know? anything that starts with rogue is usually it's not a great typically thing. bad. Yeah, it's like you got rogue planets, you got rogue waves, you've got rogue in the first few x-men movies it's not good stuff not it's good all, all horrendous and terrifying pretty bad um and generally disappointing um, <laughs> shout out to colin bunn who man that guy either doesn't sleep at all mm -hmm. or his sleep produces very vivid dreams <laughs> yeah. and he's like i must tell the world about rogue planets to speak my truth i am um, yeah i <laughs> he's definitely one of those creators that loves to create yeah you know what i mean yeah, like definitely. it's it's like him and the bendises and the uh yeah, um yeah kiran does a good handful of stuff um i feel like jason aaron's got a lot going on kelly oh lord yeah that girl and so <laughs> yeah it's like those guys so donny cates has yeah. a lot going on you yeah. know what i mean like yeah. it's a lot of there's a lot of dudes out there you know Remender is that way. Like Remender's got a lot of stuff going on at any given time. Brew Baker's like always moving from one thing to the next thing. There's Greg Rucka's kind of the same way, like everywhere. always moving from one thing to the next thing. So there's a lot of creators out there that you can tell just like love to create. Um and I think Colin Bunn is definitely like way up there <laughs> on the line of <laughs> way like top. And he's he spans the gamut too. Like he'll work with little presses, big presses, oh, yeah. big names, little na he yeah. doesn't care what it is. He's going to write it. Like Yeah, he's got this with Oni, he's got a few things with he's got stuff with Aftershock. Um yeah, he's all over I the mean, place. He wrote like the Blossom 666 Archie Did he Dark really? Yes. He writes no way. anything. He doesn't care. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's so funny. But yeah, Rogue Planet is definitely worth checking out. Uh, it's it was a pretty cool book. It, it you know it and the next one that we're going to talk about both introduce really interesting concepts um, that haven't really been like it, it. It takes stuff that you know has been done and kind of just adds a little bit of extra flavor to it. And I think that's you know cool part of storytelling in a modern age where pretty much everything's been done it's hard to find something new so sometimes you have to reinvent something that's already been done Agreed. a little bit tropey at points like i said um but you know it's issue number one so they have time to pull out of that and sometimes so. you have to establish tropes before you can break out of them it's and it, now that i'm saying that like it is very tropey i feel like that's <laughs> the point though it is like you've got like the fun loving engineer and like yeah it's i i don't know there's like, a lot of characters in there that i'm like It'll I've be seen these characters to see before. how long the book is, too, because if it's a mini, yeah. like, sometimes you have to rely on tropes and yeah, to, to tell a story. To you know? just get people familiar with get the characters, get even. them, get them, you know, invested quicker. Uh, I get it. No, I get it entirely, but worth picking up all the same. Cool so, covers, too. Oh, yeah, very cool. So next book on our list is, as Chris said, a very cool number one called Dead Day Number One. Yes, indeed. It is... You know, I looked at the cover and I was like, another zombie book? Yeah. But 
I don't know that I can call this a zombie book. Yeah, it um so this one's from Aftershock. It's written by Ryan Parrott and I'm so sorry. Oh no. Uh Evgeny Bornyakov, <laughs> which yes, I had to put on an accent in order <laughs> to say that. It's the only way my brain can read it. Um it's yeah, it's funky. It's it's technically a zombie book. So the premise technically li- the premise lies in kind of revelations esque the dead returning type stuff. Right. But they're not mindless brainless zombies. No. You know, they're not out to feast on flesh. And you can't turn into a zombie yep. that we know of and yep. like only certain people come back. Yeah. So the whole drama of this is that, you know, there's a lot of concepts that get introduced from like cults to like Dead Day being a new holiday um, and all this stuff. It feels very purgy without like the hyper violence. It's like people are aware Dead Day is coming. Some choose to go, you know, interact with the dead. Some choose not to uh, because I guess the whole premise is that it's mainly not great people that are coming back but at the same time it's not like there's one dude in the book that says like oh it's all bad people um but there's you know people like going out to meet their grandparents and stuff like that yeah it's Um, weird because it it effectively is dia de los muertos but it's not yeah but there's they show a few different people interacting with it and there's like war vets that are you know, you never know if, like, some years when this comes up, nobody you know might come back. And then, like, the next year, somebody you're very close to might come back. So there's no telling, like, when somebody who you know who has died would come back, if ever. Um, so you have, like, war vets who are like, you know, I've killed a ton of people. I don't know when they're going to come back and want revenge. And you have literally like dead people walking through the streets, holding signs like you killed me or remember me and stuff like that. You know, you have people throwing parties for their dearly departed. Um, You have people who are like shutting up in a cabin with a lot of guns just in case and stuff like that. You have people making sacrifices, which I think. And yeah. And you got people doing like old school biblical style stuff to kind of ward off the dead So there's a lot of people and then again like cults that are like dedicated to this. It's all over the place and it's got a really cool concept. Um, And I think there's a lot of really cool stories that can't be told because it's like, for instance, one of the kids wants to go to his friend's cabin with his friend's parents because they're shutting up in a cabin with a bunch of guns, quote unquote. Well, it makes you wonder like. If so many people are out there like celebrating in graveyards and throwing parties for their dearly beloved and stuff like that, why are they so concerned? So I feel like there's a lot of like, I honestly, I went into this book wanting it to be a lot like the book we talked about last week, the year one, which was kind of a trees-esque take on a zombies apocalypse where it was told from a bunch of different perspectives um, and a bunch of different stories and how people react to the zombies. Um and unfortunately, that's not really what we got. And I'm really worried, personally, that this really cool concept for a zombie story or some sort of like horror story is going to get overshadowed by what, personally, I think is just kind of a lame narrative. There's there's potential even with these characters, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But there's a specific plot thread 
I won't spoil. Yeah. That is a part of it that to me tries to change the genre too much from what it could be. Yeah. And it it kind of makes me go bleh. Yeah. It, <laughs> like, um, there's so much of it that I'm like, oh, follow this family, yeah. follow other family. Yeah. And then there's this one thing that I'm like, so bleh. this book follows one single family. It's a four person family made up of mom, dad, son, and daughter. Teenage son, young daughter. Six the, year old, yeah. The dynamic between the family is really solid. I'm invested in the family. I yeah, like the dad same. as a person. The mom seems to care, but has some baggage from a past life. Um, the daughter's really fun and adorable, and the son has his own sort of drama that's has potential for a lot of really fun coming of age stuff. Right in this weird world where the dead literally come back, and there's cults and shit. You know, I want to know his story. It's the it's the mom's story where I really yeah. get a hang up. Yeah, and again, I don't like Tisa. Don't want to spoil too much, but it it deals with her past baggage. And it deals with someone close to her coming back and you kind of get fed these little tidbits of like, you're still going out tonight. Like they're having arguments and they're like, can't believe you're going to go out. Like, what if he doesn't come back and all this stuff? Um, And then when this person does eventually come back and you kind of get a hint of where the narrative's going to go, it just doesn't it's it's the least interesting thing about the book. The hook into the next issue is literally the least interesting part of the book. <laughs> in comparison, like the hook in Rogue Planet into the next issue is like really shocking and sudden. You're like, whoa, Startling. oh my God. But then you've got like, in this book, it's just, it seems to be leading into a story that's just like a, you know, rebel without a cause, like quasi- It's a very- Revenge story kind of thing. And it's- generic plot- style choice yeah and in a in a world that's being developed that's so interesting and so dynamic i almost would have wanted something so this is a weird i'll try to explain where my brain's at but i almost wish it were more boring of a plot Mm -hmm. like a more super simple literally just living their lives nothing different or interesting or extraordinary about them and it's more about it you know standard generic white bread people living in this bizarre extraordinary Mm -hmm. circumstance yeah you know what i mean yeah that's that's why i was saying like i i would have really liked for it to be like year one where it was telling the stories of people dealing with this yeah as opposed to what it feels like is going to be the main narrative which is, again, just kind of like a weird Tarantino-esque Bleh. crime revenge story. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm still excited about this book and I'm going to keep picking it up. And Same. I still think it's, again, it's a very creative take on this kind of thing. Yes. No one's really done, in my knowledge, like a movie or a story that's set in a more like Revelations-esque sort of dead will rise kind of thing where the dead rise and they're fully aware that they're dead to the extent where there's like a cool little like guidebook in the back of the book. That's like, here's how to prepare for a dead day. And one of the things is like the dead are really uncomfortable. So provide masks just in case they're uncomfortable with how they look and all this stuff. Um, 
and it treats it like a like the guidebook in the back is like any guidebook you would find on like safety during Fourth of July and like stuff yeah. like that. Um, and I just think it's such a cool world that I'd hate to see it wasted on like the plot that they're setting up. Yeah, you know Agreed. what I mean. And I'm still very interested to see what happens with the family. Like I said, the teenager teenage boy's got some stuff going on. The dad has some stuff going on, and by extension, the daughter, who's very attached to the dad, is going to have stuff going on. So I'm really excited to see where these go. Um, I but I, I hope just the mom plot kind of the mom fizzles. plot feels very predictive, and if it's like very predictable, and if it if it goes the way that is predicted, it's just going to be kind of boring. Yeah, just sort you of, know. Hmm. So we'll see. I still really like it. Um, I got to give a shout out because Ryan Parrott did a really good job. Yes, definitely. Um, it's it's a really cool both concept. in concept and with you know making characters that you can really connect to very fast because yeah. I I got just way into these characters Super really quick. Invested, They're just an adorable family, and even though there's like turmoil going on between the mom and dad, it never feels like. Sometimes when you know writers create her like family drama, it's like really turned up. So it's like. Even though they've loved each other for 20 years, this family drama comes in and suddenly it's just like throwing lamps against walls and like, let's talk divorce and all this. Sh yeah, like, the, obviously, they were never truly in love. The and the tension feels very realistic. Yeah, but it, in because they, they mentioned that this is only like the fourth dead day. So what you're presented with is these people that legitimately have a family and legitimately love each other and legitimately like want to keep things going on but this new thing in the world has introduced a crux that they have to right. work with um and i just i think that's interesting so i think it's really cool agreed um i wanted to talk about uh shifting gears to nana number one uh i wanted to mention avengers number 33 so i've mentioned jason aaron's current avengers run on the podcast a lot um <laughs> because he, he's doing it in such a cool way where there's a lot of jumping in points um you know whether it be you jumped in on the dracula point or the ghost rider point or at the very beginning he is really good at presenting you with points where you could just like dive right in and honestly i've read a few different avengers runs this is probably my favorite avengers run i just think it's a cool team it's a cool team dynamic and the stories he's throwing at the avengers are really dire without being like every single one is like oh boy you know what i mean <laughs> right. this one i'm particularly attached to because it focuses entirely on my boy moon knight Ooh. now first of all uh just to back up a bit if you haven't been keeping up with marvel comics there is something going down everything in marvel comics is like in all across the comics and this is probably because J they've let jason aaron and donny cates have way too much free reign <laughs> and these guys are just tearing gaping holes into everything um but everything feels like there's something looming and i i really want to believe that marvel has like something big planned and i think it is going to deal with null more than anything um but they're kind of trying to separate null from just like general symbiotes okay. a little bit more and kind of make him this big looming cosmic mm. problem. Uh -oh. Um, and I think, you know, we do have a cosmic event coming up in a couple of weeks. We've got empire is going to be starting. Right. So I think maybe we'll start to see more and more. Um, but you know, this, this one focuses on moon Knight, and specifically it focuses on moon Knight 
under the, you know, direction of Khonshu, as is normal and as has been a problem throughout his history, um, basically stealing power from superheroes in order to, quote-unquote, save the world. It's awesome. And I, I'm really excited to see where it goes. And again, I feel like this is just another stepping stone and then building towards something big coming. Because, you know, the last story arc they did in Avengers was finding a new star brand. Um, and they have the new star brand and they are protecting the Avengers are hiding basically the new star brand so that no one can harm it. Um but we've got a new star brand came out of nowhere, which apparently only happens when the Earth deems it's in trouble. Uh -uh. We've got Moon Knight doing this thing. Hell is getting all shook up and all the Ghost Rider stuff. Uh, you know, Absolute Carnage just went down. War of the Realms just went down. Like, there's all these big pushes happening yeah. in the Marvel Universe. Like, the Greek gods are back, but they're, like, cosmically charged and evil now. <laughs> And Galactus is sick in the Thor run. Right. And yep. so there's tons of really weird shit going on. And like, I am never one to push for a reboot. But in my opinion, if you're going to do a reboot, building it up over a long period of time to where you just cause this like great cacophony in your universe and then having some big cataclysmic thing happen and wiping everything out is the way to do it. You know what I mean? And I don't think Marvel will do that. I don't think Marvel's been very like solid on their like, we're never going to reboot. Stop asking <laughs> kind of thing. Um, but this would be the way to do it. Get a bunch of really strong writers in there that give a shit about this subject matter. Have them create this chaos and just constantly stir this big vat of chaos for like years. You've got Hickman doing his crazy stuff. The X-Men and the various X-Men books have mentioned big cataclysmic things that are coming, quote unquote. You know what I mean? All the Dawn of X stuff has had little dropped little hints about like this person knows something big's coming and this person just saw something horrible. And there's still all these mysteries. And it's just like between the powers of like Hickman, Cates, Aaron, you know, those guys could create enough cosmic drama to at least facilitate a soft reboot, maybe. You it know? just, it all, it, this is so weird, but it all makes me go back to the Venom the End issue. Yeah. Where technically the world didn't end, mm -hmm. it did. Everything ended, but he rebuilt it. Yeah. And so it was still there. Well, and we but had it the, was different. <laughs> the entire premise of the history of the Marvel Universe book that they came out with was it was Galactus and Franklin Richards at the end of time. And Galactus was recounting the Marvel Universe so that when he died, Franklin would have all the knowledge he needed to rebuild the Marvel Universe. So he was recounting every event so that Franklin could then go, okay, cracks knuckles and rebuilds it the same way that it was. It's just so and suspicious. It's there's so <laughs> many things pointing towards like we're doomed. Everything's ending. It's all it's all end. Let's focus on how, like how many books have come out recently that have focused on the end of time. Jason yeah. Aaron's, yeah. you know, run on 
Thor focused on had moments that focused on the end of time. There was yeah, War the of King Thor War role. of the Realms made various references to like end of time and doom and gloom and everything's ending and the abyss and all this stuff. The Venom run has been entirely focused on that. Absolute Carnage was focused on Null and bringing an end to everything. Silver Surfer Black was focused on that stuff. Mark Wade's run in History of the Marvel Universe was focused on that. Powers of you X. Know, Powers of X has had various references to how the world can end in different ways, as well as Moira McTaggart's weird time travel powers. You know, who's not to say that she doesn't restart the Marvel Universe? You know, like, there's there's so many, like, it just feels suspicious, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. It feels suspicious that there's so many people looping in threads in their narratives that are like, here's what the end of time is going to look like, or here's how here's various people that could restart the timeline if we needed it you know what i mean and then amongst all of this we've got null and we've got you know the king in black which is probably also null and we've got whatever's going on with thor and the necro swords popping up and gore the god killers popping up and and the weirdism surrounding franklin richards yeah and franklin richards is a big part of the x-men books and the x-men themselves are dealing with like possibly the phalanx and possibly this underground society that you know lives in hyper time and like all this stuff and it's just it's extensive and it's crazy how many threads are getting there are so many threads in play in the marvel universe that could result in the collapse of the marvel universe and i just i don't know if i'm just a drama queen and i really (laughs) want this to come to fruition like i really want all these loose ends to tie up to something big you know big and like it's about time marvel did something again like killing off captain america and you know you've got like spider-man getting his symbiote suit and introducing the symbiotes in general you've got killing off captain america you've got world war hulk was huge when it happened house of m was crazy when it happened civil war in general like they've had these big things but it's just felt so long like secret empire was in humans versus x-men was and the jonathan hickman x-men stuff is definitely doing a lot of really cool stuff but marvel just is hurting for something to be like massive you know, yeah. and I know they're very nitpicky and they're very protective of their narratives, but like it would be bombastic, especially in the gap of their movies. If in yeah. like because their movies, they're going to take time to get their movies to where it was right. like, don't expect that the next phase of Avengers movies is going to be as crazy as it was. It's going to be a lot slower because they have to they have because to otherwise everyone's going to they have to kind of wait for the fervor to die down. And people to want it again and almost even feel nostalgic for it again before they can really charge into something that big, you know, because otherwise everyone's just going to compare it to Thanos and to Endgame and it's going to be hard to really dive back into that. I mean, I hate to say it, but while it obviously hurts certain industries, the current COVID-19 situation may have actually help to some degree the marvel universe cinematic universe because it forced yeah. them to slow down rather than hold to that very force them yeah production time. force them to delay and you know Which increase the window time there to like 
oh man, it's been over a year yeah. since Endgame, and like, oh man, I'm kind of you know missing stuff. Yeah, and let's push things. It, it slows you down and starts to create that that interest again that maybe was taken advantage yeah, of. Yeah, like the, the lead up to Endgame was such a remarkable moment in cinematic history. And I don't care if people, you know, oh, they're just action films and stuff like that. It was crazy to take a fan base and take a universe that big. Yeah. And every movie that came out got picked apart about like, what could this be referencing? Who's going to come in next? And like every casting decision, every trailer, every announcement just got picked apart and pulled apart to decide like who's going to be next, who's going to be introduced next. And I just don't think we're going to have that in the next phase yeah. because I don't think they're going to be able to introduce a ton of people and bring in a ton of people. And it's going to be relying a lot on individual movies and individual bad guys and kind of going back to its roots right. in order to get up there. So in that space of time going moving the focus into their comic narrative world, their comic universe and doing something absolutely controversial and crazy and just tearing it apart. And that's what I wanted out of absolute carnage. And it didn't end up kind of being that way. Yeah. Um, but absolute carnage was just a lead in to make, it was basically a device to make the rest of Marvel's universe aside from venom and maybe miles Morales understand what Noel is and kind of connect that thread because in the Venom book right now, Venom's being asked to join the Avengers, you know, and he's telling the Avengers about Noel right in Venom 25, which is also out this week. And there's also a really good jumping in point and personally <laughs> is what I think the culmination of Eddie Brock's character. I think Eddie Brock has finally gotten to a point where he is a multifaceted character. Wow. Like I think long Donnie Cates, 25 issues, finally got eddie brock <laughs> somewhere like there was just a lot of like shit you had to wade through but right um but anyway we're here to talk about avengers 33 it focuses on moon knight it puts moon knight in a position where moon knight is not often um Ooh. and the thing is is moon knight for those who have kept up with him is a really interesting character oh yeah very very intriguing character has a lot of levels you know, deals in mental health, deals in cults and religious worship and the damages of faith. Um, there's a lot of heavy topics that can come up in a Moon Knight story. And Moon Knight in general is a very powerful person who's really, it's kind of like Marvel's Sentry. Um, yes. oh, I love Sentry. Very powerful people that are kind of held back by things outside of their control. Yep. And... And that's another, by the way, that's another thing. Like what the, what the F is going on with Sentry? You know Nobody what I mean? Like, like ah, that's another one of me. those like doom and gloom things. Like suddenly Sentry's evil again. I don't understand. You know, because Sentry that, has merged with the void and now yeah. he's just in space. Yeah. No don't, one knows. Don't know. And the negative, the negative zone is like completely destroyed. Like what the heck is going on? Um, anyway. Avengers 33. Um so Avengers 33 would be a really cool jumping on point, uh, particularly if you kind of want to start prepping for because they make illusions in this, particularly towards the end, that Kanchu and Moon Knight are aware of something coming. We don't know what yet, Ooh. Um, but they are doing what they're doing to, you know, prepare for that. They consider themselves, even though they're currently fighting heroes, they personally consider themselves the heroes. They're doing what they're doing to save the day. Um, 
and that's really really cool so it's it's a great jumping on point um i you this is not not going to be the last time i mentioned jason aaron's avengers until he's done doing the avengers um because he's just really good at setting up like this is a cool story arc and it's a nice little package and it does tie into everything that came before it but if you didn't read everything that came before it you're not lost you just get this cool comic story That's so of neat. moon knight punching people in the face you can't go wrong and with that. in a single issue he managed to cover like all of moon knight's personalities simply in costume changes <laughs> that's so great i thought that was really cool the art direction on that was really solidly done because like every time we see him he's like costumed up differently that's really and so cool. it's like he's moving through all his different personalities they're all working together that's effectively awesome. um and i kind of wonder if that's gonna play a fa- i have a hunch about see that that being an actual important uh plot point plot point so anyway very good so I have a lot less to say about the next book. <laughs> That's fair. Admittedly. Um, so, but I did want to, I did want to shout it out. Um, the last issue. So issue number four of the V card came out this week um, by Dallas Casavant and Nick Johnson. Um, and the reason why I'm calling out this book is because I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. Um, mm-hmm. This series is like a really goofy, kind of like... It's like American Pie meets Twilight, kind of. Yeah, like, I went into the first book being like, I don't know why I'm reading this, Mm -hmm. but it looks silly and funny, and I like a good humor book. Um, And it's... It it makes you feel like it's one of those... Like, it's it's comparative to a movie you would have watched late night on Comedy Central during the summer when you had nothing <laughs> else to do and you weren't going anywhere and it was raining outside and you're like, well, I'll just watch this movie because I have nothing better to do. And so I went into it with that expectation, but it was actually really, really cute. Nice. Like the characters were involved and you cared and the art was super adorable and appropriate for the subject matter. And like had the art had like that just thin layer of sleaze on top so that it mm-hmm. kind of made you feel like you were watching like a, a, a Van Wilder esque type thing. Um, like this could be a national lampoon project. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I felt that. And, but the characters are interesting. The story was predictable, but cute. And there's a lot of relationship in like the front and the back of the books where the author kind of speaks as the characters and talks to you in a very, um, fourth wall type way. Mm -hmm. And the ending was really cute because effectively the happy ending gets pummeled out a window. <laughs> in the aftermath of the book. So the yeah, book yeah. ends and then he like comes out and he's like, "Oh yeah, just kidding." Because life's not a comic book. Huh. But okay. I'm not going to give up. Yeah. It's not over. He's like, and "Hey, I'm- this is realistic, but it doesn't have to be depressing." It's like, yeah, it's like it, it's basically like you follow this relationship this whole way and the the happy couple ends up together in the end and tra la la and then the last page is literally the main character talking to us and being like, and she dumped me four years later because I couldn't give her what she needed, but I'm not going to give up and I'm going to try and be a better person and I'm still going to pursue her because I love her. And you're like, 
Okay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was hey. so much more like, I don't know, deep. Yeah. And like thoughtful and like very self-aware and like the author puts himself in the book. Yeah. And, and it just, I don't know, it's super cute. And I just didn't expect it from this like cheesy looking vampire meets American pie book. Like I just, didn't, yeah. I didn't, I didn't see it coming. So I just wanted to give a shout out because props to y'all. You pulled out a book that I wasn't expecting. Good on you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, to close this up here, I'm going to talk about, so there's a new Dr. Afra, uh, number one that is out this week. It is by a new team. Uh, it's written by Alyssa Wong with art by Marika Cresta. It feels very, very different um, than the last Dr. Afra number one. Um, this is actually, is this her, this is her third Dr. Afra number one. Okay. So the first series, uh, was written by Kieran Gillen. Of course. Um, and then <laughs> following that, I'm having a brain fart. So I'm trying to remember who wrote the second series. Fair. Fair. I do, 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 do. <laughs> oh, no, wait. I think uh, it was just written by Kieran Gillen and then someone picked it up. Yeah, later. I don't know that it rebooted when the next person took over from. I think I'm thinking Darth Vader. Darth Vader had two number ones. Yes, Darth Vader restarted. I don't think Dr. Afra did because Dr. Afra ended at like issue 40 something. Yes. But anyway, um,. So we've had a few different kind of styles of how Dr. Afra's been portrayed. Um, you know, in the first run, in the Gillen run, she was very, very Gillen. Um, <laughs> so amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, she was very clever and quick-witted um, and a little bit like, oopsies, you know, like, able to make mistakes you right. know what i mean like she wasn't perfect right um and then following that um she really became kind of a i don't want to say a caricature but she came eventually okay it was simon spurrier who took over i couldn't remember if it was spurrier or soul my brain was freaking out anyway uh simon spurrier took over and he did a good job keeping the tone and the humor but she kind of became one of those characters that was absolutely unstoppable. You know what I mean? Like she was in super deep and like Darth Vader was out for blood and, um, you know, all these different groups she had betrayed and, you know, she had an ex lover that was after her and all this different stuff. And, but she was constantly on top and constantly betraying and she just felt very two dimensional yeah. at certain points. Um, there were still parts that I really, really liked, and there was a particular arc where she was, like, tethered to uh, the evil C-3PO, and if one of them moved too far away from the other one, they would explode. Um, oh, and geez. I feel like that was probably the best bit of character development in the later bits of Dr. Aphra. Um, but this one feels very, very different. Okay. She's a bit more toned down... Um, 
and she's it's not as comedy forward to be honest okay um and she feels like she's gonna be more of a set piece because they're introducing a lot of characters with a lot of different personalities which we haven't really seen with afra because part of afra's thing is just how often she betrays the crap out of people but in this one we see her kind of immediately build up a cadre they're all going after the same thing um and then we have a new villain who's just some like uptight rich boy from the empire um i think it has a lot of potential to be cool but i you know it's it's not my favorite afra that i've seen right i still think afra is definitely one of the best star wars books to keep up with um because it's original. It's an original character from the comic books, from their something recent different. recent so takeover of the comic books. Happen. It's something different. It's different styles of storytelling. It doesn't inherent inherently p- pertain to the Galactic Civil War. Right. Um, it it's worthwhile. Um I wasn't blown away by the first issue, uh, but I'm still excited to see where it goes. I like the it's a very just kind of uh you know, cut and dry treasure hunting narrative very that they're setting up. Yeah, it's far. it's very like, here's a treasure thing. I know where treasure thing exists. Let's go find treasure thing. <laughs> and I'm excited about that because, uh, you know, at points in the Spurrier run, it got a little bit tied up in constantly covering loose ends of Afra's various betrayals. Yeah. Um, So that there wasn't a whole lot of like, momentum it was like she was constantly getting pushed forward by her own like wave of crap that she's built up got it but she wasn't like targeted anywhere and some of the earlier issues both in spurrier's run and in kiran's run and i think jason aaron did some issues as well um it was very like afra wants a thing she's going to get thing you know what i mean yeah but it felt a little bit more fiasco-y in the later bits where it was just like her constantly running from stuff um and so I, I i'm excited to see where this one goes the art's cool it's still got it's you know really like afra's a fun book so it's still got a very fun art style um nice. but her as a character it seems like there's more developing development being done on the characters around her as opposed to her herself huh. so. fair still something worth picking up yeah nice. still worth checking out yeah cool well, I think that's going to wrap it up for us, yeah, you guys. That's going to do it. A proper Wiko Comics. Can you believe it? Uh, if you're interested in more Cover B and want to listen to episodes of the faraway past, <laughs> hop in your Wayback Machine and listen to episodes 1 through 70. Because this is episode 71 on our uh, website, coverbpodcast.com. You can also follow us on social media, on Facebook and Twitter, at Cover B Podcast. I've been trying real hard to keep up with that, but, you know, things are crazy. Time means nothing. <laughs> yeah. I do my best. And once again, I hope everybody's being safe, being smart. Uh, I hope everyone's doing all right in the weird, weird, weird world that we live in. Uh, and until next week, we will catch you back here for another episode of, of Cover, Cover B. B. Bye, guys.